So today, um, we're going to go through Luke chapter 8, verses 36 through 50, is what we're going to go through, just kind of just running through here in Luke. This passage right here, I don't know how many of you have, have pre-read or you've read this before multiple times in your life, but this is one of those passages that I, I kind of, I grab and it, it scares me a little bit, and I look at it and there's a lot of questions that I have in this passage. So I, I want to just kind of read through these, and then we'll go back through and, and kind of pick some stuff apart. There's some really cool stuff, by the way, that, that God has really been teaching me this week in these passages. So Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 50. They sailed to the region of, of, of Jes- Jes- sorry, Jesenes, said that totally wrong, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Verse 29. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he, and though he was chained hand and foot, he kept under guard. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large, herd of, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the, uh, what else? I'm not even going to try, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is an incredible passage. There's so much right here. I think we could spend forever just on these little verses right here and and kind of pick apart and ask God to show us some, some neat stuff. But as I was praying through this and as I was going through this, there's some things that jumped out at me right away. In verse 26, you know, they, they sailed to the region of this place, I'm not going to try to pronounce again, which is across the lake from Galilee. In verse 27, it says, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man. So this, this man right here is demon-possessed. And if you look back in the, in the passage before, what had happened before? Jesus and his disciples, we looked at two weeks ago, was coming across the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm came up. And, and you know, the disciples had to wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, we're about to drown. And, and Jesus came up and got the sleep out of his eye and said, be quiet water and, and be quiet wind. And the disciples were saved. And now, now when they, they get off the lake, they're coming right here, and this is the first thing that happens. It says that, that Jesus stepped ashore. 
in verse 27. I look at verse 27, and Jesus stepped ashore. On, on this side of the sea, on this side of Sea of Galilee, like we, we, can, we can know what's happened at the Sea of Galilee. Like Jesus calmed all that mad storm, right? But on this side of the story, on this side of the sea, we can see that I think what was happening, I wonder if Satan actually caused that storm. I wonder if Satan actually caused that wind and the waves to get just so big. Because look what's happening right here in this story that we're just going through right now. A demon-possessed man who's filled with legions of demons is about to be set free. And I think Satan's looking at that going, how can we get the disciples to be scared and not get Jesus there? Oh, well, let's send a storm maybe, right? I wonder how many times in our life when that storm comes, there's something incredible about to happen in our life. Huh. Oftentimes a lot, and that's my life a lot. Storms come. Do we call on Jesus? Do we call on his name? And do we keep it in the right perspective? Because on the other side of that sea, when we step ashore, it's going to be calm, and it's going to be incredible. So just thinking back into last week's passage but Jesus stepped ashore, and this, this is my life, and I hope this is your life. I hope this is all of our lives. See, Jesus is coming. There's storms that he calms, but then he, one day he gets there, and he steps onto the shore, and he's ready to go. He's saying ministry happens along the way. He wasn't like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fax ahead or I'm going to text ahead to this place and I'm going to say I'm coming across the sea. And so gather all these people together and have a really good band to kind of sing praises and, and make it at 3.30 because I'm going to get there. I need to you know, rest up a little bit. And so I want to shower up. It's been a long day at the sea. I'm kind of tired. They woke me up in the middle of my sleep. So get this big gathering and, and I'm going to kind of show up and then we're going to do ministry on, at that specific time. See, ministry happens along the way. Jesus steps off, he steps ashore, and ministry happens right there. And in his day in and day out, as he's going about his life, ministry is happening. Ministry is happening the moment we step out of our car. Ministry is happening at the grocery store. Ministry is happening in class. It's happening on our block. See, in Texas, we lived in a place that was these condos, or townhomes, things, and, and our garage was... You know, we, would, we would drive up, we'd hit our garage door opener, we'd drive in, we'd hit our garage door opener, and then when we left, we would get in our car and hit our garage door opener and drive out and hit our garage door opener. And, I mean, we knew our neighbors, barely. We didn't know anyone else, really, in that whole place. And that was just kind of what happened there. I mean, you just kind of drive in and drive out. And how sad is that? How sad is it that we can go through life and we think, oh, ministry is going to happen at a specific time, at a specific location. It's going to be organized in a specific way. It's, it's got to look a specific way. What happens? Jesus, what does he do? He steps ashore. That's all he does. He gets off the boat. He steps ashore and ministry starts happening. Don't wait for the church to organize ministry opportunities. I'll just put it there especially us. I mean, we're tiny, so we're not going to organize a whole lot, right? Don't wait for the church to organize ministry opportunities. Don't think that simply because it's a church-organized event that it's suddenly ministry. God is asking us to have ministry along the way, day in and day out. All Jesus does is step ashore and ministry happens. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? There's people that need to hear the word of God. There's people that need hope, that need life. And the question is, it's not a big elaborate thing. Are we doing ministry along the way? 
simply waking up and saying, God, let's do this, whatever this is today. So Jesus steps ashore, and he comes across, he comes across this demon-possessed man. And this one right here, man, this is perfect for this time of year. Right? He comes across a demon-possessed man. Last night, we went to a play in, in Fort Collins, this little women's play that, that Braden is in. And it's phenomenal. If you guys want to go, go. But we went to, we went to this play in downtown Fort Collins. They had the zombie walk. You know, what it, you know this? The zombie walk? I didn't know it. It, it took me a, a little while to catch on. But we, we went down, and we, we met Rosinski's for pizza first. And we were sitting there, and... and it seemed like every other person was dressed like a zombie walking in front of the restaurant. And finally we asked, and big old zombie walk, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, people just dressed as zombies doing their zombie walk in downtown Fort Collins. And tonight I'm going to the 13th floor. Yes, haunted house downtown Denver. Like, this is the time of year, right? I don't know why I love that so much. But I actually went to a haunted house in Florida um, when I lived down there. And I don't know, I've always liked haunted houses or whatever, I don't know. But I went to this haunted house in Florida, and it was a year-round one. Um, but this one, about midway through, I was like, okay, time out. I'm out. Like, I'm out. There's a difference between dressing up like, oh, I'm going to scare you. And then, and then like, this, this place that I went was, I think, demon, like, demons lived in this place. And my, my skin jumped up, and I'm like, I'm out of here. Get me out of here. Like, there's a difference between uh, last night, the zombie fest, and that place down there. I, I want to ask you this. How long... Um, have you been in church, and what do you think about demon possession? A lot of times, I grew up Baptist, so what you do when you're Baptist is you grab that rug and sweep it under there and just kind of, you know, let that rug go back down. I think this stuff, like, don't touch this. Like, denominations maybe we've grown up in, but what do you think about demon possession? Can this happen? Can, can someone be possessed by a demon? Sure, that was then, and he says he was possessed by legions, which if you look that up, there's all sorts of numbers, but... It could be between 3,000 to 6,000. I mean, there's all sorts of numbers of how many demons could have been in this guy. It doesn't matter. Even if there was one demon in this guy, do you believe in that? Do you think that could happen today? Have you seen this? Have you been a part of this? Hopefully not you yourself. If so, then let's talk. <laughs> but in Miami, I encountered a lot of people, and I think we do it a lot. But when I think about demon possession, it's something that, quite honestly, if I'm... <laughs> If I'm at home at night and no one's home and it's dark, I'm a little scared. It's like, okay, this is, this is scary stuff when we begin to talk about this. The reality is if, if we want to kind of look at things to be scared about, demon possession isn't really one of them. I mean, Jesus talks about it maybe a couple times in the Bible. You know what we should be scared of? Money. He talks about money a whole lot in the Bible. So there's a lot of emphasis in money, right? We should be scared to death of money as much as Jesus talks about it. But demon possession is something that he doesn't really address a whole lot. In this passage, though, we see it. I mean, this guy, Jesus, steps on the shore, and there's a a man possessed with thousands of of demons, and we see this happening. So what do you think about demon possession? See, Ephesians 6, 12, we we might know this, says this, that uh, the battle is not against our our flesh and bones, but but it's against the spiritual world that we don't even see. Like, there's stuff happens, in the, and there's heavenly stuff going on that we cannot see. Even today, right now, there's heavenly stuff that's happening that we just cannot see. See, demons lived in this guy. This man was possessed with many of them, legions, three, six thousand of them. 
I've learned something throughout life, and, and it's just this technical term called the, the trichotomous body, right? What, what is the trichotomous body? I mean, it means the, the man. We are made of, of body, soul, and mind, right? This is, this is what makes us up. Our, our spirit, our body is this, the things that we touch right here. Our, our spirit is our eternal being that we are, and our soul is our mind and our emotions and our will. It's, 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 it's three parts, some people believe we're, we're a dichotomy, we're two people, like we're two and one, we're a body, and we're mind and spirit, so we're just two pieces. I, I believe we're three, I believe we're three pieces, and just like, like Jesus in the Trinity, we are the body, which is our skin right here, we have a spirit, which is our eternal being, and we have a soul, which is our mind, emotions, and will, and when I think about this, and I think about Jesus, and I think about our eternal selves, there's multiple places in the Bible Well, Jesus says, if he is living with us, we have eternal life with him. There's multiple places in the Bible where he says, you cannot be of me and you cannot be of Satan. There's multiple places in the Bible where Jesus talks to us and he says, if our spirit comes to live in us and he lives inside us, then we have no reason to fear this demon possession because as Christians, we cannot be demon possessed. So should we be scared? No. Look, look at this story. What, what does Jesus do? The demons, all of them, they fell at his feet. They submitted to Jesus. They begged him, and Jesus commanded them. See, his spirit is in me, and I don't need to be afraid. Did you catch this little part right here in the verse right here? What, what did they say? The, the demons, they didn't even want to go to hell, right? They said, hey, don't, don't, don't send us to hell. Send us into those pigs. Like The demons are scared of Jesus. They're scared of hell on Here's some verses, if you're wrestling with demon possession and what that means. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says, God delivered us from the domains of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In Romans 8.37, Paul says, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.57, uh, he says, God gives us the victory. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, he says, God always leads us in triumph. In 1 John 2.13, John says we have overcome the evil one. And in 1 John 4.14, he says the indwelling Holy Spirit is greater than Satan. Do you believe that? Do you believe that once Jesus comes and we've surrendered control of our life to him, that his spirit is in us? If that's the case, then Satan cannot be in us. And that's exciting to me, to know that this man was so tortured He encountered Jesus because Jesus stepped ashore and ministered to him, cast demons out, and totally changed his eternal life and his earthly life. So we see this part. Let's let's move on, the demon-possessed man right here. In verse 28, he saw the demon-possessed man. And then he says in verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, don't, don't, don't torture me. See, Jesus comes to rebuild. Do you know this, Jesus? He comes to rebuild. He comes to restore. He comes to redeem. He comes to love. He comes to right all wrong. Jesus comes to give us hope. Jesus comes to give us life. Do you know this, Jesus? And here this demon-possessed man shouts out, It says, what do you want with me? Look at the lie that this man is led to believe. Does Jesus want anything but the best for this man? 
if the demons have so taken over his mind and taken over his internal being and who he is, that when he encounters Jesus, the love of Jesus, <coughs> he asks, what do you want with me? Jesus only wants what is best for us and what's going to glorify him. And so this man is believing a lie at the very beginning, that Jesus is there for something other than what's better for him. What lies is Jesus teaching you or showing you? What lie is Jesus, or not Jesus, but what lie is Satan leading you to believe right now? This man, as he encountered Jesus, he didn't quite know. He said, what do you want with me, Jesus? If we truly knew what Jesus wants with us, we wouldn't ask that question. We would know that he wants hope. He wants life. He wants joy. He wants what's best for us in our life. Does Jesus ever want anything for us that is not for our own good? See, Satan tries to twist the truth that, that is scripture and what Jesus is speaking to us. I look at my life and I think, how many times has Satan twisted the Jesus' truth? He does it quite often. And quite often, I'm, I'm vulnerable to this, susceptible to this. Jesus is speaking, and in my life, I hope I am, I am listening and I'm following his instruction. So this man, he asked Jesus, what do you want with me? Don't torture me. And in verse 29, Jesus commands the evil spirit to go out because it had seized him many times. and He had broken chains and no one could keep him you know, under guard. He had been driven to solitary places. In verse 30, Jesus asked him, what's your name? He goes, thousands is my name. He replied, because there's so many demons in me. In verse 31, then he begged him, don't, don't send me to hell. All these demons are begging him. Don't send me to the abyss. Verse 32, a large crowd of pigs are there, and Jesus cast them over there. Verse 33, the demons came out, went into the pig, rushed down, and were drowned. That's, that's destruction. Verse 34, everyone saw it, got scared. They ran to the town telling what's happening. Verse 35, everyone came out to the town to see what was happening. They heard this big news, and they found this man who was demon-possessed, who they couldn't even chain, who they were scared of. And this man is, in verse 35, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. This man is sitting at Jesus' feet. He's dressed and in his right mind. What was this guy like before he was demon-possessed? Or before Jesus cast out all these demons? What was he like? No one, no one could chain him. <laughs> he's running around naked in, in, in the tombs. Like, he's scaring people. This is what he's like before he encounters Jesus. But as he encounters Jesus, he's sitting there, he's dressed, and in his, in, in his, in his right mind, he met Jesus, and his life was changed. How many of us, we say we have met Jesus. We say that Jesus is alive in us but we're still running around naked. How many of us, we've encountered the love of Jesus Christ in our life, but there is no change in our life? I mean, it's obvious here that this man was changed. Demons were cast out. And as the people came, he's sitting in his right mind, which many people may not have even ever seen him in his right mind, sitting at the feet of of Jesus. Have you encountered the love of Jesus in your life? I mean, the life 
life-changing story. The, the moments where you're like, Jesus has, has encapsulated me. He has, he has grabbed my heart. He's grabbed my attention. And all I can do is sit at the feet of Jesus and look at him. Do we fall on our face and beg him and look for him and want to be near him? See, this man was changed and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus dressed and in his right mind. The people, obviously, they were scared. First, they were scared of him because all the demons. And now they're scared of him because of what has just happened. I mean, they are, they are scared. We look, get to verse 37. <coughs> all the people came out and they, they saw him sitting there. In verse 37, it said they were overcome with fear. When your life has changed, it causes others to look at their own lives and it challenges them. One of the scariest things I tell people is, especially students when, when in, in Texas, when I was in the youth ministry, you know, we'd be able to tell people about the love of Christ. And oftentimes there were moments where students would be like, yes, I want to surrender control of my life to Jesus today. Like, done deal. I'm, I'm done trying on my own. I'm like, awesome. That's, that's incredible. I'm so glad that God has chased you down to that. We call that salvation. or I don't know what we call that, right? But that moment right there is when I would grab students and I would say, listen, it's going to get ugly, like, immediately. Like, like immediately, it's going to get ugly. I mean, just look at the Bible. We think back. Jesus was baptized, and what happens right after Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist? Satan comes, and he's now taken out for 40 days, and he's tested for 40 days. I've seen it multiple times in, in my life and in students' lives when they, they come to this moment where they're, they're so overwhelmed with the love of God, they surrender control to God, and I'll grab them and I'll say, listen, it's going to get hard now because Satan wants to take you out at this point. Oftentimes, when, when Jesus <coughs> causes life change in ours, other people will look at, at our lives and they'll say, he's got something or she's got something, and it causes them to look at their own life and they get very scared. They get scared. The people come out and they're scared. They're like, this man was insane and now he's not. And I, what's up with me and my life? And they don't know how to respond. They, they didn't like the man he was then. And, <clears throat> but now he's this and they're confused about this. And, and they know that something has happened and, and it causes them to look at themselves and, and say, is something happening in my life? And they look at this and they get scared. <clears throat> they ask Jesus to leave. Here's a reality that I found in my life, and maybe you found it in your life. People may not celebrate with you when Jesus does something in your life. They may actually reject you. And, and sometimes it comes from, the, from the, the people we love the most. It doesn't say if some of the, the people coming out that day were his family <coughs> or friends. Sorry, I'm coughing so much. It doesn't say who came out. It says a lot of people came out, and they're scared to death. I remember, I, I've, I've told you this before, but when Jesus asked us, our family, the, the Havens, to go to Mexico, some of our hardest opposition was my parents. Oftentimes, this challenge that comes our way when we know that Jesus is asking us to do something or be something or change something are oftentimes the people that love us the most. And that shouldn't be reason to hang up or say, no, I can't do it. But we should know that when Jesus is prompting and he's changing our life and we're sitting there and in our right mind, oftentimes immediately is going to come a crowd of people that are against what God's doing in our life. 
and I'll just leave it at that. Have you experienced that in your life? People may actually reject you. Now, I want to get to verse 39, because to me, this is what everything was, was about. And this is, <coughs> this is the part that I think just kind of lands on us this morning, church, and who we are, is verse 39. You can grab other things out of there, and there's so much out of this, the passage before that we've already talked about. But verse 39 is the one where I spent so much time on. So I want to read verse 39, and I want to go through some thoughts here, okay? All this had happened. People had come. They asked Jesus to leave because they were scared. Verse 39. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Like He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He goes, Jesus, can I go with you? And he goes, no. Return home. Let's read verse 39 again, okay? Because I want us to get this. Jesus, can I go with you? In verse 39, he goes, no. Return home and gain a theological degree and memorize the Roman road to salvation and have all the answers to every question and never, ever, ever mess up. And then tell people how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Does your Bible read like that? Close. Close. But I'm certain that our lives read like that. Because we have this battle inside of us where it's like God loves me. And we have, we, we, we have these moments of insane awesome clarity where we're like, Jesus' grace in my life is enough. Like we get it. Thank you, God, for loving me and equipping me and saying, me I'm, I'm, saying I'm, I'm conquerors of, of Satan and you've empowered me. And we get these moments of just awesome clarity. <coughs> and then usually a second later, I get the moment of, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this? And I'm not equipped with this. And, and how can I serve you better? And I got to get better at this. And I got to straighten up. And I got to, do you do that? <coughs> Sorry, I'm coughing. I love the sound of the kids. <laughs> Jesus looks at this man who has just been changed, physically changed, eternally changed. And he says, I love you. Now go tell others about this. You're equipped with everything that you need because you have a life-changing story. Voila. Yet when ministry comes our way in our life every day, someone asks us a question about who God is, and we're like, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> I don't have that verse memorized. <laughs> oh, no. What's the Romans' road to salvation? Ah, I mean, we start stressing out. <clears throat> or we're like, okay, I want to wait for that perfect opportunity to invite them to church project or give them one of those cards. Really? Do we even need to do that? It would be great to have more people here, yes, but do we really even need to do that? Like we are, we have everything that we need. If we have encountered the love of Jesus Christ in our life, we have everything that we need. Jesus looks at us. He says, I've changed you. I've loved you. Now go tell people about that love. That's it. That's the story of the entire Bible is us knowing that we need Jesus, calling on him, him redeeming us, buying us back, <coughs> looking him in the eyes, accepting that love for ourselves, and so changed that we can't help but go and tell other people 
See, and as a church, how does it operate as us? I mean, right now, I mean, you guys know that, that I'm in seminary, and I am actually trying to learn more about the Bible and, and do all this. I'm trying. I spend probably 30 hours or more a week on theological things, reading books and, and all this stuff. But I also know in this time of my life, this is my calling. This is what I'm gifted to do. This is what God's asked me to do as part of church project, as, as part of our body, as part of this ecclesia. And that's where my peace is. I, that's how I can serve you, and that's how I can serve this body. <coughs> what's, what's your peace here? How can you serve the body of Christ at large? Here, as in church project, and elsewhere, as in when you open the door to your car, how do you serve Jesus? Do you, do you have ministry in those moments? Are you aware of who God has created you to be? And are you there in that moment of ministry where you're like, God, thank you for loving me, and I get that grace story, and I want to pass that grace story on to someone else. But even in the midst of, God, thank you for this grace story and, 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 and allowing me to be aware of the ministry that's in front of me, we start transferring this grace story to other people, and then it becomes about our actions again, doesn't it? And then we got to go, God, thank you for the grace, but here's our actions. I want to I love you and I want to do, and we're in this constant battle of like, ah, and, ah, and grace and works and all this stuff. But the story is this. We encounter the love of Jesus Christ, and we're so changed that it just kind of oozes out of us wherever we go. So does it ooze out of you in your day in and day out musings of life, in your thoughts and your conversations and in who you are? You don't need a seminary degree. This guy didn't. I mean, what did he know at this point? All he knew was the love of Jesus Christ and he went about his life. I think it's neat how Jesus said, I I've changed you and I care for you. But the bigger story is I care for your city, the people that scared of me as well. Do we care for Greeley as much as Jesus cares for Greeley? Are we willing to leave this moment and to go into Greeley and to go into our places and to speak of the love that Jesus has for Greeley? God, um, oftentimes, when he changes us, we come so alive we can't help but speak of his love. Which makes me ask a very weird question at the end of that. And some of you, you may, you may get offended, and I'm sorry about that. Here's the, here's the question. Some of us don't tell people or show people the love of Christ or actively we're not in ministry because we don't have that changing story. I mean, that moment where, where Jesus has captured our heart, <coughs> the moment where we realize that the story is bigger than us, we haven't, we haven't had that moment. And so if we don't have that moment, how can we pass it on to anyone else? Has Jesus really changed our life? Like, if we really believe in this message and love of Jesus Christ and this grace of love, it should ooze out in what we do and it should be on the forefront of our minds. But then again, we fall back into the story here of this conflict between grace and works. And I'll let you guys work that one out. But I just want to ask the question, has Jesus done much for your life? Jesus has done much for your life, then go tell your city. That's what he asked this demon guy to do. Go, go tell your city. Return and tell people, your friends, your neighbors, everyone, about the love of Jesus Christ. See, I love people with passion, and I want to be around people that have passion. See, I could care less about car racing, seriously, but 
I've been in a lot of hours of car racing conversations with Danny because he loves car racing. And I actually want to go to the car races because of Danny, because of his passion for car racing. But people label you that, a man or a woman that has passion, that loves life, because they want to be around just passion. I mean, the world's kind of passionless, period. So let's just talk on the passion level. Do you, are you a person of passion? And if so, where is your passion? I imagine this man, as he was changed, his passion was for telling people about the love of Jesus Christ because he had encountered this story. He didn't have a theological degree. He wasn't waiting for the church to, to do something big. He just knew that he had encountered this love and he wanted to tell others. His life was changed. He had passion. He had heart. And he was commissioned by God to go tell others. That's it. That's all I got. There's a lot in there. And I imagine that as you go through this, maybe this afternoon, or you go through it later on in the week, um, just ask God to highlight some things and show you some things in this. Um, I think it's an incredible story. And I think this morning, if you allow it, God is going to just let it just land on your heart and land on your mind. I would like to just get into a moment here, and I'll ask James and Allie to come up and, and lead us. To me, this is, this is the moment that um, is, is the most important time for us just at Church Project. Just the moment right now where we've spoken a lot of words. Um, we've overcome all sorts of obstacles just to be here. We've sat through this, but what does this mean? How, do, how does this land on our hearts today? And I hope it lands in a point where we can look at the face of Jesus and we can say, Jesus, it's about you and who you are. God, thank you for that moment that, that our lives collided. That moment where you stepped ashore in my life. The moment where I was sitting at your feet and you had cast out all the demons out of me. Like that moment where you took that addiction, that moment where you took whatever that was and you cast that out, God. Thank you for that moment in my life. And so I can't think of a better way to respond to that than to just sit at his feet this morning. So for whatever that means, we're going to go through a couple songs here. Just sit at his feet this morning. On your chairs is this connection card, the response card. On the back of that is prayer requests. Maybe there's something that you're like, there's just a bigger prayer that I, I would love prayer for. You can write that down. You can put that in the offering basket over there. Or just tell us something that God's doing in your life. Like I believe in what God is doing here in Church Project, and I believe what, what He's doing in your life and in your heart today. We want to be a part of this with you. So how can we pray for you? But in this moment, this morning, let's sit at His feet. Maybe it's just you sitting there and listening to the, the lyrics of this song, or maybe it is actually you worshiping God, just holding your hands out, saying, God, you're beautiful, you're everything. Thank you for changing my life, and I pray that that God, I can get to know you more. If he's truly changed us, we feel it, we know it, and we see it in our life. So let's respond to him. Just tell him how amazing he is this morning. God, I pray in this place that your spirit will be moving in us. God, I pray 
we can celebrate this morning just the story that you've asked us to live. The moment we've given our life to you. God, I pray for those of us this morning that we've never encountered the love of Jesus Christ or you. I pray that this morning we'll, we will give you our life. We'll stop trying to live life on our own, God. We'll surrender control to you. We'll say, God, here's my life. God, please bring to mind today the things you want us to know. Please let our hearts beat wildly for the things you want us to feel. God, thank you for showing us how amazing your love is in our life.